In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I um, don't know about you, but I have found through life experience that not all babies are the same. This is a strange thing to say, but um, I had grown up babysitting all throughout junior high, high school. As soon as I was able, when I was like 11, I can't believe that people at age 11 allowed me to hold their infants and, you know, babysit their infants for them. They would go away, and there I was, an 11-year-old, alone in their house with the infant. But I remember doing that all the way through middle school and high school. And I knew babies pretty well, but it wasn't until I was actually nannying in New York City, read acting, I was really acting, and waiting tables, and nannying. And it was at that time that I got to know this one infant very well. I worked with his family. I got to spend every day with this child from the time of her birth until she was two and a half. And I, at the same time, my sister had just had her first baby. And so I would spend at least once a week with that child as well, my beautiful nephew. I guess you can't say beautiful if he's 12 now, but he was, he's really cool now. But one of the things that I noticed was that those two babies were really different, even as infants, really drastically different. And that was the first time that I thought, oh, maybe we just have different temperaments and different personalities. Maybe we are such individuals that you can see it that early on in our lives. Maybe even in the womb you can tell this child is not like another child. This child is uniquely made. And that is true of each one of us. We are each uniquely made, and we each have unique personalities. And um, this is a wonderful thing. This is one of the things that makes being around so many different people so much fun. Um, But I would also say that for us as Christians, we know that the world is not perfect. We know that creation is fallen because of Adam and Eve's first sin in the Garden of Evil. Garden. Oh, gosh. That's going to be taped. Garden of Eden. (laughs) Oh, well. The Garden of Eden. You knew what I meant, didn't you? Um, Evil entered in. Entered in in the Garden of Eden. And when evil entered in, um, that sin was not just their sin, but we also um, take part in that sin. We also are guilty of sin, each and every one of us. Willful desires that we act on. Things that we think, things that we say, things that we do. And I would say that um, as, as a Christian, in contemplation, um, sober contemplation, um, looking at those things that I do again and again, that I would really like to not do, that I find myself bound to doing, that I sin, areas where I sin over and over again, um, I have to ask myself, why does that person not struggle with this thing? And why do I not struggle with this thing that that person might struggle with. Well, I would say that even the map of our own sinfulness is specific, so specific to us. And I think that that's something that we see in the two lessons from today, that both Peter and Paul have a sinfulness that is characteristic of them. They're both sinful, and yet um, that, that sinfulness shows itself in different ways. Paul, um, it says he's breathing murderous threats against those new Christians. And he is going to Damascus with letters so that he can arrest them and put them in jail. All because he is convinced beyond the shadow of a doubt that Jesus was not the Messiah, 
but was rather a deceiver, someone who misled the people of Israel and led them astray. And that that heresy, he believed that Jesus was preaching and teaching heresy and that those new Jewish Christians were also teaching heresy in the temples, in the temple and in the synagogues. And so he felt that it was his moral obligation to go get those Christians and imprison them, silence them by whatever means possible. And you see him doggedly pursuing them, clueless that he's wrong. But he is so gripped by this belief and he is so stubborn in pursuing this thing that he knows needs to happen. I don't know if you know anybody like this, but I think that Paul as a child was perhaps the characteristic strong-willed child. Would you say, would you agree with me about that? Um, I think that his personality is so specific. And we see that in his fallenness and in his sinfulness, it takes on a certain character. Well, what is so wonderful for Paul and for us is that God does not leave us there. God drastically encounters, dramatically encounters Saul on the road to Damascus as he is on his way to get those Christians and throw them in jail. And Jesus encounters him in the flesh. Jesus shows himself to Saul and he, there's a blinding light and Saul falls down like he's dead on the road. And he hears Jesus's voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? How interesting that Jesus sees the persecution of the church, the body of Christ, as persecution of his very own self. Well, Paul, right there in that encounter with the crucified and risen and then exalted Lord Jesus, there on the road, he is transformed. He falls down dead on the road, and it is true that the old man, Saul, dies right there in that moment. He knows then that he was wrong. He knows then that he was sinful. And you can see by the way his life has changed after that moment that he has repented, that he has turned and said, I won't do that again. And that he has also been forgiven by Jesus and then empowered for a certain kind of ministry and a certain kind of service. Paul's story is unique. He would go on after this point, after this conversion, this drastic moment, He would go on to preach the gospel all around the Mediterranean basin. And people would come to know Jesus. Jews and Gentiles would come to know Jesus. And I think that his personality, that iron will that had been bent for unholy purposes before he met Jesus, was now used by God to make um, the gospel spread all around that place. Paul went from place to place. He endured persecutions. He was rejected. He was beaten. He was imprisoned. I mean, we know that he ended up giving up his life. We know that he was executed in Rome in A.D. 64. Paul was a transformed man from that moment on. And was he perfect? No, we know he was not perfect, actually. We know because we know in Scripture that he had an argument with one of his, co- one of his peers. But Barnabas, remember he and Barnabas parted ways. They had a bitter disagreement, it says in Acts. So they parted ways. In any kind of disagreement, um, it takes two to fight. 
Paul is not perfect, but we can take hope from his story of transformation because it begins with that moment of forgiveness. Um, And I've used this illustration already today, so forgive me, but again, recently I got to go to Nicaragua and um, with a group of Adventers and people from a Christian school in the area, and we went and we visited our missionaries there. And as we were there, we went to the vocational school that our missionaries run, and there in that school they teach blacksmithing. And so we got to learn about blacksmithing. We got to see those iron rods or steel rods put into the fire, and then they turned bright red. We got to pump the fire and make it happen. Then we brought them out, and they taught us how to hammer the steel and turn the steel into uh, tools or beautiful designs, keychains even. Um, But, you know, whatever it's going to be, they change it. They mold and melt that steel. And it is true that that steel is like a metaphor for us and for those two great apostles, Peter and Paul, in today's readings, that even though um, we may have used what God has given us in our personalities, used our gifts, our talents for selfish gain, even though we might still do that as Christians, as we repent, as we turn to Jesus, as we fall down before him, as we say, woe is me, should not have done that, as we are grieved like Peter, it is in that moment that it is like we are put back into the forge of God's fire. God does not give up on us. He does not turn us into scrap metal, but rather he delights to take us and reform us, forgive us through his son, and then reshape us into instruments honed for his purposes and for his glory. So for that, we give thanks to our God and Father and to Jesus Christ through whom we are forgiven. Amen.